that you say You've been working on a bank holiday Now I see why you cry You've been watching your best days slipping by Hello and welcome to the Wheels of Wisdom podcast where I set off on two wheels to talk to interesting people about interesting things and take on a challenge or two uh, into the bargain. So here we are at the second Wheels of Wisdom podcast. So I set off on a Boris bike, which uh, for those of you unfamiliar is London's Cycle for Hire scheme, where for a couple of pounds you can get a nice, heavy, overweight, slow bike uh, from one of a number of points and slog your way across the city. So it was a bitterly cold day, so it was actually a pretty good way for keeping warm. So I'm here with Craig Sterling for the second of the podcast. Following that great explorer Tom and our ride in Richmond, we're actually in Bunyan Fields Burial Ground, which is an appropriate place for a writer. We looked over by Daniel Defoe and William Blake, and incredibly, it's one of those those areas of London that both myself and uh, Craig Sterling worked a few a few minutes away, never visited, despite this great site that's been here since uh, the 17th century. Let's hope as we delve into this literary career that we don't hear the two of them turning in their graves. <laughs> <laughs> so, Crato, you, so you studied English at Cambridge. I did. You studied poetry in the US yeah, under yeah. Derek a Nobel Prize yeah, winner, yeah, yeah. I believe. Yes, you released yes. two poetry books. As three, well as three, three. Yeah. Two of which I have signed copies of and I've very much enjoyed and treasured over the years. <laughs> you were a literary reviewer for a number of broadsheets. Yep. And then you've gone completely off the rails into the world of popular fiction <laughs> with uh, Stealing Fire, which I used to summarise is sex, drink, violence and the arms trade. So that's the obvious question is either what were you thinking or <laughs> what took you so long? Well, it's interesting, isn't it? Because I've always loved James Bond and I love you know, Alan Quatermain stories and John Buchan and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, I'd not be averse to a bit of Jackie Collins as well. And, you know, at the same time as I was studying Pilgrim's Progress, as, as it so happens, as I did at university, and, uh, you know, various kind of homiletic literature from the 14th century, I think I opted, I always wanted to be this kind of Beckett-style figure. And um, as time went on and I was reviewing for the TLS, Telegraph, people like that, and, you know, the books of poetry came out and I did the readings and so on and so forth, I just got a bit tired of it. And I think, you know, I wanted to give a full vent to, um, how could I put it, the kind of Barcelona stag do side of my personality. <laughs> and uh, Stealing Fire is the result. Yeah, so in terms of the research that you did for that, obviously the, the drinking, you had to tone down a bit for the book. But... <laughs> um, <laughs> But how did you do it? I mean, was it through, through work? So I remember you saying yeah. you had some colleagues in the army, particularly yeah. around the, the arms trade. Was it through some yeah. of your, your, yeah. your, your copywriting? Day job or, well, day job as a copywriter. Yeah, well, all sorts. Um, day job copywriter, I wrote um, the spec for the Beyond Visual Range air to air missile for the MOD, uh, which is what led to, uh, gave me the idea of the missile. It's actually a friend of mine called Alex, who's an engineer, who. Um, who told me that it's now possible to have you know guys with first class degrees in mechanical engineering from Imperial College London who are living in northwest Pakistan basically will make you a microwave oven or a fridge on spec as long as you get them the plans and that gave me the idea what happens if they steal the plans for a missile and yeah. uh, off we went 
so that from that side but i also did things um uh, research into rhodesia for the character of uh, tertius dice who the mercenary um, i had to do an awful lot of desk research into that one one of the things that i've always wondered about is when you are doing writing and you have close family and friends and obviously some of the territory in which yeah. you go into into the book and how much did you hear sort of your your wife's voice your mother's voice as you write some of the more racy scenes yeah yeah i know what you mean yeah not so much that in fact the publishers edited down um some of the uh sexual content shall we say <laughs> um which is a shame but you can see it's still pretty outrageous in fact it was more what i heard was the voices of people i've met through my working life some of the things that they said are actually reproduced in the book um, verbatim so various bits of it are, are, um, are reproduced from life. So I was kind of more thinking, I wonder what happens if X reads this, but mercifully none of them have yet. Is there an Andy Harris out there? So we both know an Andy, but yep. has some of those qualities. Yep. But... A, he's an amalgam of three people that I've met in my working life, one of whom is a friend uh, who was a Royal, the Royal Navy uh, systems engineer um, and who was booted out for uh, failing his uh, exams and who also... He broke up a fight between two ratings off the coast of Sierra Leone. But, he, but Andy Harris also has elements of other guys I've known who are ex-special forces, and one guy in particular who I knew who was an arms dealer. Andy's habit of rolling his fags in, in the Navy style comes from that guy, for instance. So what is the, uh, the Navy style for rolling your cigarettes for the uninitiated? Well, apparently, you, you roll them with one fat end, so that if the wind's blowing into the cigarette, the tobacco doesn't fall out, apparently, so when you're on ship. One of the things that I've always respected about what you've been able to do with your, your writing is that there's a lovely punch cartoon whereby uh, there's a, a guy at, sort of at, a, at, a, at a party saying, uh, oh, I pretend to be a writer, what do you pretend to be? <laughs> Whereas you've managed to hold down a, a full-time job, so now you have a, a wife, now baby. you've got a, a baby, a house to support, yeah. yet somehow you keep churning them out. Churning them out. And in what, what's your secret procrastination is... It, is such a common problem for those that like to write. I mean, yeah. what's, what's, what's been your, your secret in terms of really being able to, you know, to, to churn it out? Well, years? generally, I mean, it's the thing I've always wanted to do. So, you know, that has, a, that has a big influence. And I've always thought, you know, you and I both love blues players and stuff from the 30s, 40s and 50s. None of these guys were full-time musicians. They couldn't afford to be, you know, and yet that was their passion. And so I ju I've been inspired by them in part. And um, I think for this novel in particular, I'm kind of on record on the publisher's website as saying that, you know, I wanted this to be like something, a, a song by the faces of the Stones or ACDC, you know, just something that was f full, up, full on ahead. And I look around me, I just see loads of people who, who never give up. You know, there's, um, there's a young uh, London footballer, actually, who got canned by Birmingham City, went up to Aberdeen, left Aberdeen without a club and fought his way back into another club at a higher level and actually paid his own transfer fee. And I think that level of determination is so inspiring. You can't, you know, I don't understand people who say they can't find the time, however mm. difficult it is. You know, you've just got to keep going, basically. Yeah, you get up two hours earlier in the day and you yep. before the day job and you just churn it out That's before it. the wife wakes up. Exactly. Yeah, and she used to hear me laughing through the walls. I mean, anyone who's read the book will know, you know, I was just, uh, when I was actually writing this stuff, I was thinking, yeah, you know, I'm going to do that one. <laughs> I just went after it, man. You know, yeah. just, I, was, I was testing myself to see how outrageous I could make it. Yeah. There's so many passages you could be referring to. <laughs> my reading, I'm quite sure I had to pin it down. Um, 
And how have you found now? So there's a, a new addition in your in your life, which yeah. actually means five a.m. starts for a different reason. So, yeah. so I'm aware that you're working on a sequel, yep. Prophets Tears. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Have you been able to still keep that same discipline with the tired? Um, no. The other commitments. No. No. I mean, no, because the other stuff that's happened is that my next book of poetry, the fourth book, is currently with a publisher. So that's taken my attention off the off the thriller ball a bit and um, obviously uh, you know our son is now 16 weeks old so uh, you know I've been spending some time with him and there's no need to tell you with two of your own what a revolution that is in your life you yeah know, what an amazing experience but I, I am going back to it this weekend I'm 15,000 words in I'll be sending it in fact I may well send it to your good self for some comics oh, so one thing that, that struck me you know is with, but it does read like a film script you yep. can picture the explosions, you've got, obviously I'm sure Don, Johnny Depp's queuing up to play the lead, lead role of Andy Harris. <laughs> I thought uh, more Jared Butler myself. Jared but Butler, yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, I'm yeah. sure they'll be queuing up. Yeah. Was, I understand that you've had some discussions around film rights. So yep. it, it'd be interesting, I'm sure people would be interested to know how those, how those conversations come around. And yeah. I, I believe it's shortlisted for Rome Film Rome Festival. Film yeah. Festival yeah. I, went to, I went to Rome, yeah, and I met with 10 producers, all of whom... Uh, said to me that it was going to be too big a budget for them, that they wouldn't be able to raise the finance. Although I have to say I had more meetings than any other shortlisted book. And, um, you know, the, 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 obviously the film world is not great at the moment in terms of financing and stuff. But I'm about to talk to EuropaCore, which is Luc Besson's film company, uh, Icon Entertainment, uh, Working Title and uh, Studio Canal Plus. Um, who are all interested, uh, well, excuse me, who would be, in, can I please would do it as a co-production kind of thing, but I don't really want to say too much with the you know, tenth fate, but it was an amazing experience, the Rome Film Festival. I was two two rows behind Ennio Morricone and two rows in front of Michelle Yeoh and Richard Gere at the opening of Luc Besson's uh, The Lady, and I was walking down the red carpet with all these guys, you know, Boy George was about 50 feet behind me and all this sort of stuff. It was just awesome. I turned up in my dad's knackered old jacket and a t-shirt, thinking <laughs> I'd be letting a side door or something, but no, you know, there I was, glare of the cameras and all that, so uh, quite weird. Oh, so living up to the uh, the cliche of the of the uh, scrappy writer. Yeah, <laughs> totally, un- totally unintentionally. I did buy a new pair of shoes, because a guy was sh- staring at me in the hotel, and I kind of realised I had these scuffed shoes on, so I went out and spent 130 quid on a pair of shoes. <laughs> And in terms of getting that opportunity, I mean, is, is that something that occurs to a publisher, or do you, do you have an agent? I well, I don't, have, I don't have an agent at the moment. Um, I, the publisher put me up for the prize, um, and in the end, the prize wasn't awarded because no one actually got a deal um, coming out of this competition. And I guess the prize would go to to, to a book that won a deal. There were sixty-eight novels around Europe, and ten were shortlisted. Um, so it's a tremendous honour. There were only three from the UK. And as I say, you know, the, the, to be able to go to Rome and, you know, do the whole kind of film star bit was uh, was really weird, you know. <laughs> yeah. So, so following up, what are you saying, what are you touching there on, in terms of the health of the, the film industry? Yeah. There's interesting like, com- comment from Cameron about dumbing down yeah. the film industry, which yeah. um, was extremely badly received amongst the patrons. Yeah. What's your... Your view from as a as a writer in terms of the health of publishing industry yeah. now, and yeah. I know that's one of the challenges that you've always faced over yeah. the years yeah. is you know how to balance paying yeah. the bills with doing what you love. Yeah, and is there a, a sweet spot there between the two? So you touched on this with with Tom with his exploring. He yeah. has to has a, a multiple a multitude of different projects and yeah. tasks that pay the bills and allow him to do what he loves. I mean, yeah. it's 
Is it just that you know, 0.1% that achieve that and the rest of us find yeah. a way to do what we love? Or? Yeah, I mean, that's an interesting question. I've had a meeting with Faber um, in the last couple of months since the book was published, and their sales director, uh, in a kind of look here, sunny sort of way, put four or five books on the table and pointed to them all and said, of these five authors, only one earns a living at it, and they're all Faber and Faber authors, you know. Uh, he said, so, you know, you can pretty much kind of, you know, write off the idea. But I, that doesn't really bother me. I never expected to be able to earn a living um, from writing. It always seemed to me that that was going to be a bonus, you know. And, of course, as you know, you know, my day job is kind of copywriting, brochures and, and all this sort of stuff. So it's just turning it on between nine and five for a different um, for a different purpose, really. And, that, and I've, I've just kind of worked on that accommodation, basically. But in terms of you asked me about the health of the industry, I think it's dire. I think people are still trying to adapt to the uh, electronic environment. I must say, I saw my book on Kindle the other day, and I'm a real fan. I am a convert to the Kindle and to the digital technology. So, so do you own a Kindle yet? I, no, or I don't. I'm for Father Christmas for that one. iPad. iPad is going to be my thing, and I'm waiting just uh, a couple of months, I think, for the, for the iPad. You know. So, yeah. Changes the dynamic of publishing in terms of being able to self-publish. Yeah. Then there's the challenge of marketing and finding a, a following. And it, yeah. too, but, it changes slightly the role of the publisher, where there's sometimes Apple featuring you in yeah. iBooks is now the, is now the publisher. And absolutely right, absolutely right. It completely changes everything. Again, you know, as with iTunes and with digital downloading, I think. But for me, music has gone back to live performance now. I don't think any musician expects to, you know, kind of make their money out of record sales. Certainly not in the beginning. And I think that's a very positive thing. I think if if in the same way you may find that writing goes back to events and people, you know, and festivals and so on. I, I don't know how I feel about that because I think, you know, sitting there with a book is a very personal thing. That's what I do. I, I read alone, you know, or when, when I'm in bed with the missus at night or something. You know, I don't, I don't kind of, you know, I'm not a big fan of literary festivals and readings and so on. So interesting. I don't, I don't know how it's going to go in publishing, yeah. but it's certainly in difficult straits at the moment. Uh, actually just got to jet off back to Scotland shortly after this, yep. so we're going to draw it to a close. You haven't you brought some of the weather with you, it's extremely cold. Yeah, I don't know how but you guys put up with it down here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I know. We, we, do, we do suffer in poor old London. So yeah. thank you once again to, to Craig Sterling, making time to share some of his secrets, and of course, check, check out the book on, on Amazon, you'll yeah. be amused. <laughs> And that's about it for this podcast. So a big thank you once again to Craig Sterling and also to Marcus Hillier, who's generously allowed me to use his music in the podcast once again and who fittingly leads us out into the great unknown. Take it away, Marcus. To me, you are beautiful. Tired and close to tears